We are continuing, not only is it Halloween Reckless, but we are continuing a series we started last week called In This Corner. And uh, if you weren't here with us last week, this whole series is all about talking about that, this battle and this struggle that we find ourselves in every single day, where we feel like there are things that the culture kind of pulls us in one direction based on the things that, that the world believes and what is trying to get us to believe. Uh, and then that other direction and, and what God is calling us to and some of those things that we feel like we're pulled in this direction. And so it can feel like, and, and maybe you're like me, where you feel like a, a lot of days, maybe even moment by moment, like there are some moments where we feel like, man, we're so swayed by the culture. We're so pulled in this direction. We kind of buy into some of the things that it's talking about and, uh, and some of the things it wants to get us to believe. And then there are other days, man, we, we're pushing in this direction and we want to live for Jesus and we want to follow after him. And at some days it feels like we're going back and forth. And Jesus challenges us, and we read this last week, of trying to play both sides, of the dangers in us going back and forth like that. And what he says to the audience, he's talking specifically about money in this verse, but it applies to anything. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. And this battle is especially true that it's impossible for us to serve both sides, it's impossible for us to try to live this way, but also still try to live this way. And so what we've got to determine and what Jesus, I think, is challenging us to do is to pick a side for us to decide who we're fighting for. Now, in order for us to do that, we've got to figure out and understand what the God of this world wants us to believe in and what he wants us to do, right? The God of this world we talked about last week is the enemy is known as Satan, the devil, and that's what he, the direction he's trying to get us to pull in and understand what he wants. But also too, we've got to have clarity to see what it is that Jesus wants. And so that's what we're trying to do as part of the series is highlight those areas that especially we really find ourselves in the greatest struggle going back and forth so that we can understand what it is, what the end game is for the world and what the end game is for Jesus. And we can choose who we're fighting for. So last week we talked about that battle of selfishness versus generosity, right? That this world and this culture and so often we get caught up into making ourselves the center of everything, right? That we have kind of that mindset that it doesn't matter who you hurt as long as you get to the top. That it doesn't matter, man, at the end of the day, as long as you're happy, as long as you're satisfied, as long as you have a great life, it doesn't really matter what it takes to get to that point, even if there are people that you step on to get there. And how selfish that is in that mindset. And the opposite of that and what Jesus is calling us to is to generosity. For us to sacrifice ourselves and what we want and put other people ahead of our own. That Jesus flips it around and he says the last shall be first. And if we're willing to serve other people and put ourselves last, that's really where we experience the greatest life. And so kind of that, that main point that we talked about last night was self, or last week, selfishness results in isolation and failure ultimately, but generosity rewards the giver and the recipient. Now, how we treat other people is really, really important. Do we love other people like Jesus loves other people? And the true test of that whether or not we're willing to love other people like Jesus does 
The, te- the test of that is when those people hurt us. What do you do when people hurt you? When people cause damage to your life in whatever way that looks, whether intentionally or unintentionally, what is your reaction? So for me, I think back to the, the time of my life where this, this particular area, this battle, this struggle was at its height. Was I, and I've talked, I think, about this before, but I had, when I graduated college, I moved to Nashville, wanted to be a rock star and do the whole music thing, and I thought I was good, but I wasn't. But me and, and, and my best friend growing up, we convinced ourselves and even had other people convince us, man, you could do this. So you need to move to Nashville. So we did. We moved to Nashville and we tried to do the music thing. And we met up with two guys there and we formed a band and it was awesome. And we called ourselves Beggar's Fortune. No? You don't like it? Not good? Okay. That was, that was the name of it. All right. We called ourselves Beggar's Fortune. I, I figured you'd heard of us, but you haven't. So we, we started traveling around and touring and doing, doing the band thing or whatever. And, and for about a year, like it was cool. Like this is our dream. This is what we're going to do. I mean, we weren't going anywhere. Um, nobody was like, hey, come on, we're going to sign you to a record deal. But we thought like that, that was where it was going to lead, right? We were going to be on, you know, posters and we were going to be amazing. And you were going to ask for an autograph years later, which you don't. But that's what we thought. And so about a year into it, things, things took kind of a, a really bad turn, mainly just for me. So all of a sudden there were like these kind of discussions and like not really like point blank, here's how we feel, but it was like more like kind of suggested that Todd, we're not really sure that we want you in the band anymore. (laughs) I know the band sucks and they don't even want me in it. Like how jacked up is that? So, so, you know, these are the kind of conversations and I'm not the brightest bulb, you know, in, in the drawer. And so it takes me a little while or sharp as knife, whatever that, that analogy is. I'm not bright. And so it took me a little while. So finally, I'm like, wait a minute. Are you saying you don't want me in the band anymore? And so it came to a head where we had this conversation where they sat me down and we had like our manager was in the room. We had a manager too. And it was like this intervention, so to speak. And they were like, Todd, we just don't think you're good enough to be in our band. And I was like, what? And, and I was married at the time and my wife's in the room and she's like, what? And, um, and so, you know, long story short, there's this kind of this big argument and, and they were like, yeah, we want you to leave. And so the decision was either I quit and save some form of respect and pride or I get let out of the band, I get fired, whatever, if they can even do that. And so I'm like, fine, I'm out, I quit. And, and so I walked out and I just remember in like just those feelings of like, what the heck? You know, like just feeling betrayed, feeling like they hurt me, you know, feeling all like I had been so wronged. I mean, and especially for my best friend that we had grown up together, we had written songs together, we moved to Nashville together and he's on the other end of the table going, yeah, man, I just don't think you're good enough. And I don't know how you would have felt in that situation, but I'm, I was ticked. I felt hurt. I felt betrayed. I felt all of those emotions. And I remember a time like right after that happened where it felt like everything I believed in and even who I was was being called into question. Like it was one of those moments that now looking back, it's funny and it's like, who cares? But in that moment, like, this was my dream and this was everything that I was you know, going to pursue and I thought this is what God wanted for me. 
And so now it's, it's kind of being you know, stripped away from me. And I'm like, what in the world? I don't know, maybe you can't relate to being in a band and moving to Nashville, but what does that look like for you? Can you remember a moment and a situation where you felt like people that you trusted had turned their back on you? People that you thought loved you and cared about you and wanted what was best for you actually hurt you or caused some kind of damage to you. What do you do when someone betrays you? That's what we're going to talk about tonight and our reaction to that in those moments when we find ourselves in that situation and to try to figure out what is the right response that we're supposed to have. Because when we find ourselves in moments like that, when we find ourselves, I think the the truth is we have two options. And there really are only two options. So we're going to kind of use the whole analogy and and that tug of war thing back and forth. But in this corner, on this side, you have revenge. Right? You have revenge. That is... That is option number one. And that may, in a lot of ways for us, feel like option one, two, three, four, five. That may be the only option that we feel like we have. But option number one is revenge. Now, just to make sure we understand what revenge is. Revenge is the action of inflicting harm or hurt on someone who has injured or wronged us. In other words, it is getting even, settling the score, in our minds, making things right. But doing to somebody else just as much or worse than what they've done to us. That's revenge. Now, we do this in response to what it is that they've done to us. And it can be a very emotionally driven response. I mean, there's emotions wrapped up all into it, especially depending on how, you know, how deep the hurt goes, how big of a deal that situation or, or, or that betrayal is, how close maybe we were even with that person. But we do this because we think that we're going to level the playing field, right? I mean, that's what we think. We're going to settle the score. We're going to get even. Like, we're going to fix, we're going to resolve this whole issue and what it is. And the way that we're going to do that is through revenge, And we think at the end of it that we're going to feel better. And ironically, there are some studies that say in the moment, as soon as it happens, we actually do feel a little bit better, maybe even a lot better. When we first take that response back and we get revenge, we get even there's some science that even that says that we actually do in that moment feel a little bit good about ourselves. Now, revenge also is a little bit of kind of a Halloween theme, right? Hey, what? Is everything all right? Is everything? (laughs) 
We okay? We we good? Hey guys, it's okay. We'll get the lights turned on. Hang on. There we go. You guys good? Hey guys. What'd you guys get all worked up for? All right. Hey, so I would say welcome my friends to the stage, but I can't exactly say that. So, all right. So we got, we got Jason here. <laughs> Rocking a gown. Jason in a gown. We got Chucky. Chucky the clown. And then Michael Myers. All right. So I mentioned Halloween is kind of a little bit of a revenge thing, right? So We'll, we'll kind of play this up a little bit. Grab a hold of the rope there, guys. Thanks for being part of, of this analogy. All right. So on this side, let's, let's talk about revenge a little bit. All right. So you got Jason. And I don't know how much I had to do a little research on this. But so there is revenge that is involved in all of these plot lines in some of these movies. All right. And I'm not encouraging you to go see them. We're just talking about it. All right. So you've got Jason, and so the whole, the whole premise and idea is that Jason's mom is taking revenge, starts out by taking revenge on the camp counselors who she feels like drowned her son Jason, right? That's messed up. And then Jason, you know, in the subsequent movies, he decides to take re- revenge on anybody that wants to harm and, and hurt him or is out to kill him. All right, so not cool, man, not cool. Uh, and then you've got You've got Chucky, and um, I want to make sure I get this right, all right? So here's how Chucky started. So there was a, I want to make sure I get this right. Chucky began with a voodoo serial killer who promised revenge on those who tried to harm him, and so he came alive inside of a doll, and that's how Chucky started, all right? But it started out of this guy seeking and, and claiming revenge on the people who are out to, to harm him or to arrest him, all right? And then, of course, you got Michael Myers, who is my creepiest theme song for sure, but Michael just, basically, he's trying to torture everybody and getting revenge for his messed up childhood, all right? He did not have a pleasant childhood, not cool, and I'm sorry about that, but, uh, but so you decided to take revenge out on, on those people and really everybody, anybody else that stood in your way just because you didn't appreciate that. So that's, revenge plays a lot into some of these movies that we don't see, but are in our culture, right? So they're all over the place. And so these characters represent revenge at its worst. Now, you and I, when it comes to revenge, we may not chase people around town with a knife in our hands, but let's talk about what we will do. The way that we may get revenge is we may cut them out of our lives. The way we get revenge is we may turn to social media and we may call them out or we may post some stuff to basically trash them or whatever. We may try to start rumors about them throughout our school campus because of what they've done to us. We might even choose to settle the score just by showing up in the hallway and just taking care of business right there in the hallway. That may be how we decide, but in some form or fashion, we may not have a knife in our hand, but the truth is we're out to cause some damage. 
And so if you look at it, when we choose revenge, we actually, what we do is we align ourselves with these guys. We actually are choosing the same path and we may not go to the same extreme, but it doesn't mean it's any better when we choose to get revenge on the people who have hurt us. Now, the crazy thing is there are even, you can even read passages and moments in the Bible where it appears that people are asking, even asking God for revenge. Like there are Psalms where you're reading David and, and David's asking God to you know, bring about revenge on his enemies and things like that. And you're like, man, is this righteous anger? Is this justified or is this actually revenge? Is, is, is David in the wrong for saying these things? There are other moments and situations where you read about where revenge is even a theme in the Bible. And the truth is none of us are immune to this. None of us really are immune to those feelings because the natural response is revenge. The most natural thing that we can do is get even. And like I said earlier, we think this is a good response. And some scientists actually say that in the moment it may be. But studies, when you, when you read the, the effects of revenge more long-term, they actually show that rather than making us feel better, they actually do the opposite long-term. Scientists have actually revealed that instead of quenching hostility that we feel, revenge actually prolongs the unpleasantness of that original offense. Whatever it was that started that, that caused us to feel hurt in the first place, Revenge actually prolongs those feelings that we have. Rather than bringing justice, revenge actually creates a cycle of retaliation. And it never actually settles the score, but it all keeps up this constant game of back and forth where the wrongs just pile on top of each other and it never actually settles or solves anything. And rather than allowing healing from the original hurt, revenge actually punishes you and I because it continues the hurt and the negative feelings. In other words, instead of solving the problem, revenge actually makes things worse for you and for the person that you're seeking revenge on. So the truth is when it comes to revenge and what you guys are all about and what your, the decisions that you've made, the truth is it doesn't actually solve anything. It actually makes things worse. And so I'm sorry, guys, but I'm gonna have to ask you to get, get out of here. Man, they're so sad. Now, here's, here's the reality, all right? There are, there are people in the world who, who also understand that revenge is harmful, all right? It's not just a Christian thing. There are plenty of people who aren't Christians who can see that hurting people who have hurt us doesn't actually help. So why is it that that's our go-to reaction when someone harms us? Here's why I think that is, and it's for two reasons. Number one, Part of it is we feel like it's the natural response, right? We go with our feelings and our feelings are screaming at us, get even. It just comes naturally. Like we don't have to practice it. We don't have to force it. It's just like, ah, I'm gonna get revenge. And that's just what we feel like we need to do in that moment. 
But it's also because I think sometimes we don't really think there's another viable option. We don't really feel like there's anything else. There's nothing on the other end of that rope that actually would make it, or we feel like would make us feel any better. We don't feel like it would actually solve anything. So here's what some scientists recommend. They actually recommend taking that energy that you feel of wanting to get revenge and, and using that energy on yourself and making yourself better. In other words, what they encourage us to do is they want us to get revenge by hustling to get what you want so that we prove that we're better than that other person, right? And maybe you've even felt that a little bit. Okay, I'm, I'm not gonna like, you know, jump down their throat or bash them in school or on social media. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna take all of this anger that I feel and I'm just gonna better myself and just do it in such a way that I'm gonna make them look like an idiot. I'm gonna show them how much better I am than them. Which in actuality is still revenge, but we just feel better about it in the end. So the question is, is that the only response? Is revenge the only option or is there another option at the other end of that rope? So here's the only option, the, the best option, the one that Jesus would want us to do. So in this corner, you've got revenge and in this corner, you've got forgiveness. Now let's talk through that for just a minute. Because this doesn't sound like a very good storyline for a scary movie, right? I mean, if, you know, how many people would tune in if, you know, Jason or Michael Myers like walked around the area and sat down over coffee with them and worked out their differences and hugged at the end and like, you know, had, had kind of that verbal just working out of their, their differences. Or if, you know, Pennywise like, you know, walked around handing out hugs to, to everybody in, you know, in Derry, Maine or whatever, Right? Like, I'm not sure that that's going to solve anything. I'm not sure that, that really people are going to tune into that. That's not a plot line that makes a great, scary movie. And sometimes when we hear forgiveness, and maybe you felt that immediately when you heard the other option of forgiveness, it doesn't sound like a good option. In part because it feels like we're letting the other person off the hook. We feel like if, if I forgive them, then who's going to hold them accountable? Who's going to make them pay for what they've done? Right? Isn't that what we feel sometimes? And so we hear forgiveness and it's like, ah, I'm not really sure that that's the best option. Here's what Proverbs 17.9 says, and I love this. It says, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. I love that, that picture and that idea of love prospering because we feel like a lot of times it's the wussy way out when we choose forgiveness. But in reality, it is the most powerful thing that we could do because not only are we setting ourselves free from those feelings of anger and bitterness that sometimes can hold us captive, but we show others the same forgiveness that Jesus showed us. We're allowing love to prosper when we choose forgiveness. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. He says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. 
So Paul is challenging us to choose to forgive other people just as Jesus has forgiven us. Now, does that mean that the hurt and the, and the anger and some of that pain that we feel, does that mean that that doesn't matter? No. Jesus isn't standing there going, hey, look, it's not that big of a deal. Just get over it and forgive them. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, it's Jesus who can most identify with those feelings that we feel in those moments. When we feel attacked, when we feel ridiculed, when we feel insulted, when we feel like the people that should have our back actually turn their back on us. Jesus can identify with that and knows how that feels. That people actually hated him and they nailed him to a cross. But in those moments, Jesus' response was different than revenge. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23, here's what Peter says. He says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And I love the picture of what, what Peter is saying. Is it in those moments where Jesus felt insulted, when those people were nailing him to the cross, when they were mocking him and spitting on him, when they were rejecting him, when he had come to give up his life for them, and they rejected him even in those moments. Man, what an opportunity for Jesus to show revenge. Right? What an opportunity for Jesus in those moments to go, you know what, fine. But Jesus didn't just die for you and for me, but Jesus looked at those people as they hurled insults at him. And he continued to suffer, not just for other people, but especially even for them. That Jesus gives us the perfect example of our reaction in the face of betrayal. And Peter actually says that Jesus left his case in the hands of God. That he trusted that God had a plan and he, he trusted that God was big enough to do something about the hurt that Jesus experienced. And so he gave us an example of what to do instead of choosing revenge. And he showed love and he showed forgiveness. So here's what Paul says in Romans 12. He says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And then he finishes with this. He says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And how many of us in those moments and we go, all right, we hear that verse and we go, all right, fine. God, I won't take revenge. I'll let you do that. And so we walk around going, you're going to pay one day. 
right? God's going to get even with you, right? And we, we look forward, we feel a little bit better because we look forward to that day when God's going to make all the wrongs right and he's going to settle the scores and, you know, people that have wronged us are going to have to stand before him and they're going to have to give an account. And we, we, take, we take encouragement in the fact that he says, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. And so we're like, all right, fine. I can't wait to be around when that day comes. But it doesn't stop there. What it says our reaction should be is instead, when your enemies are without food, feed them. When your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. And I love how he finishes that. He says, do not let evil conquer you. Do not let those, those re- feelings of revenge and getting even and settling the score, do not allow those things to overwhelm you and to conquer you. But conquer the, that side. Win the battle, win the victory by doing good. The best response that you can have is to offer forgiveness. To do good in the face of those people who do evil things to you. To not be content with taking the easy way out and the natural thing, but rather do the hard work and get on the other side of that rope and offer forgiveness. Man, how difficult is that? Almost impossible that that feels like. But here's one of the things that I love about this. When we choose to offer forgiveness rather than take revenge, what we're actually saying is that we fully trust God. I think at the end of the day, we've got to answer the question, do we, what do we believe about God? Do we believe that God can bring about justice or not? Does God have a plan or not? Because if we don't believe that he does, then we will take matters in our own hands and we'll seek revenge. But if we believe that God can bring about good, even in the worst situation, when someone harms us or does something that causes pain or destruction in our life, if we believe that God can do that, then our response will be to forgive. And when we forgive others, you and I play a crucial role in God's plan. We actually get to be a part of God's plan. So in that moment, when I'm sitting here thinking, I'm, I'm angry and bitter, and I'm, my wife and I are like, all right, you know, sitting down, how can we conspire together to get these guys back and that kind of thing? And man, they're not gonna take this band away from me and I'm gonna go down fighting or what, you know, whatever. And all of those moments where I'm, I'm ready to, to settle the score, And a couple days later, I was blessed enough to have an adult who knew me and knew those other guys and knew the situation and knew how much that had hurt me. And this lady who I knew and trusted, she sat me down and she said, she reminded me of the best response. She reminded me that God had called me to forgive them. And I remember sitting down over, you know, coffee with her and you know, we're talking about the whole thing and I'm like, yeah, but I'm angry and yeah, but this and that. And she's like, this is what Jesus wants you to do. And I knew that that was the response that God had. I just didn't know how to do it. 
It wasn't one of those things that I could force. It wasn't one of those things that I could, you know, make myself do. Otherwise it wasn't genuine. And then what was the point of it in the first place? And I knew that in order for me to be able to come to a place where I could offer forgiveness to those guys who had betrayed me, I knew that God had to change my heart. And so that's what I began to to pray and ask God to do in those weeks and months later. And that's exactly what God did. I chose not to take any action. And I just, I prayed and said, God, this is what I want to do. But God, would you give me the strength and the power? Bring me to a place where I can forgive them. And when God brought me to that place and I was able to go up to them and rather than try to settle the score, but actually forgive them and offer grace to them. I actually got to be a part of God's plan, not only for me, but also for them. Here's the main point for us tonight. We can either prolong the hurt by seeking revenge or we can play a role in God's plan by offering forgiveness. So who are you fighting for? In those moments maybe that you're feeling right now or you think about some past hurt that you may have, Are you fully committed to getting even? Are you ready? And maybe you already have. Maybe that's the step that you've taken. And you're either ready to or you've already taken revenge out on them. Or are you willing to open yourselves up to not just another option, but to the best option? Rather than us taking the natural way and allowing those feelings to prolong and to to continue to, to make ourselves uneasy and to continue that cycle of retaliation, we stand on the other end. And with God's strength and God's power, supernaturally, we allow God to bring us to a place where we offer forgiveness. And if you don't know how to do that, then what I would encourage you to do is just start at that place where you say, God, you need to change my heart because there's no way right now where I'm sitting tonight that I can do that. But if we at least open ourselves up to what it is that God wants and we allow him to supernaturally change our heart, then we'll find ourselves at the other end taking the action that God wants us to take and that he modeled for us through the cross. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for, God, not just giving us another way, but giving us the best way. God, the way to to truly experience freedom, the way to truly experience life, that you actually, through that, God, you invite us into your plan. You allow us to be a part of your work and how you work all things together. And even in those moments where we experience hurt and pain and you see that and you identify with that and you empathize with that and Jesus, you know what those feelings feel like. And yet what an amazing example for us that when people hurled insults at you and the truth is that we're the same way, when we rejected you, when we turned our back on you, God, you offered us forgiveness. 
And so God, for those who have been forgiven much, God, may we forgive much. God, may we demonstrate that same example to other people. And God, would you give us the ability to be able to do that and to live the way you've called us to live. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.